Hi, friend. It's Brittany Moses. And Ranella Kalagithi. And you're listening to Speaking Our Minds, the podcast that brings you honest and nuanced conversations around mental health, holistic wellness, and the real complexities of what it means to be human in the challenges of today's world, where we have fun, fascinating, and meaningful discussions around how to live a more insightful, connected, and whole life from the inside out. Joined by guest professionals, thought leaders, and some of my friends and those with lived experience. As always, we ask that you keep in mind that the views and opinions shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. We're so glad you're here. Follow the conversation on Instagram at Speaking Our Minds Pod and sit with us because we're diving in. This podcast episode is brought to you by WeShare by UHSM, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.weshare.org or call 1-800-900-8476. Good day, everyone. Brittany here. <laughs> what is that? With um, Ranella. We are so glad you've decided to join us. We've decided that we want to be British. And we're going to be doing the entire podcast no, in this way. <laughs> it's probably a terrible British accent. <laughs> so sorry to anyone who actually has a true, but we're obsessed. We kind of are. Anywho, welcome back to the Speaking Our Minds podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us for another episode. <sighs> yes. Feels good to be back. I know. It's so good to be back. I'm super excited about today's guest. Yes. Ashley Abercrombie, who you are really close to, actually. Yeah. Tell us about her. She and her husband, Cody, actually officiated our wedding. Wow. So I'm a big fan. (laughs) I'm a big fan. And, you know, as we're continuing on the topic of how to be better humans in a polarized world, I could not think of anyone better than Mm. Ashley to have on this episode because of the work that she's been doing. I've known her for the past 10 years. We actually went to the same uh, church together that was my former home church. And she did a lot of work in the community. She did a lot Mm. of community work um, just in, again, the heart of LA and all of this diversity and um, working with people and she's just kind of the real deal boots to the ground kind of woman. I love those types of people because they're the people who have like, they just know what they're talking about through experience Mm -hmm. and it's not theoretical. It doesn't just sound nice. It's like, Hey, I've been here. I've seen it with my own eyes. These are the things that we need to change in the world. Yeah. And she has such a nuanced story herself, which I'm sure she'll share more about. Mm. But she also talks a lot about how to have healthy conflict and create real change in her latest book, Love is the Resistance, which is really the book I think we all just need to read in this day and age. I love that title. Yeah. Love is the resistance. Yes. 
And it's about how in a polarized world, how to continue to love your neighbor well and how to move through conflict well, Mm. um, as well as how to assess our own biases, you know, as well and being able to understand one another, but also how to have healthy boundaries through That's these huge. things. So, I mean, it's it's kind of everything that we've been talking about yeah. around this topic of being better and more loving humans in a polarized world. Man, conflict. Conflict. So That is huge. I have a question. <laughs> yes. Are you more conflict- Are you more conflict avoidant or are you more conflict approaching? Okay. So I was actually just thinking about this the other day because I come from a really fiery family. I love it. Like we're, we all have different personalities, but we from the beginning have always been, we always confront each other. Like dead on. Like right away. I love In the moment. Those are my people. And some people who are not used to that. Like I have some friends who come around my family and they're just not used to it because they come from families that maybe you're a little bit more avoidant. Yeah. But they'll see it in real time and it'll happen in the span of like three minutes. (laughs) Where my sister will say something. That one from zero to 100. Yes. We'll like have this look and they'll be like, what? And then we'll talk about it. And then we'll be like, no, 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 no. And then it'll be over (laughs) and then we'll be fine. And everyone's fine. Yeah. So I am a lot more conflict confronting just because to me, um, especially it depends on the person, obviously. If there's someone that's close to me, I would rather just kind of be like, oh, hey, I just wasn't sure what you meant by that, but let me clarify so that I can get it straight. I don't want to be sitting on things for minutes. Talk about anxiety. (laughs) Or hours. Like, yes. I want to know like what what was happening. And obviously there's a time and place. And I think that's something that I've had to learn. Right. Because my family's so comfortable with like doing it here and now. There sometimes is just more of a time and place. And I've gotten in trouble for that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Or like an ex-boyfriend will be like, not the time. (laughs) Too soon, too soon. But I I do tend to want to talk about things right away. Yeah, and I I still prefer that. I find it to be like healthy and nice, and we don't have to spend the whole day guessing or two or three. I don't know how to hold a grudge. Right, I don't want to be bitter. So that's me. I think that's why we work so well together (laughs) because we'll just straight up be like, I kind of like this. I don't really like this. This is my feelings about this. How do you (laughs) feel about it? And I'm just like, I'm so glad that you were so honest about how you feel because this gave me perspective. And now we can think of a solution going forward that works for both of us or that, you know, and 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 it it works well when someone else is calm when when you have this similar... Right. When you're talking yeah. to someone that you know can handle that can handle and will it. filter what you say, because yeah. again, we're probably going to get into this in the whole conversation, yeah. but um, when you're, it, it works so much better when you're talking to someone who will always give you the benefit of the doubt, That's who knows that, that you're not trying to like yeah. come at them, but you're just trying yeah. to gain clarity. There has to be some trust in there because to know like, oh, I know this person means well, because same here and the type of family that I've grown up in, and this is very common in black culture, we are just very direct. (laughs) Uh Like, you know what I mean? There have been times that we've had debates in my house and it's gone zero to 100. And by the end of it, we're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So what do you want to (laughs) eat? Like, you know, and if someone else was listening, yeah, they might think, 
are they going to chop each other's heads? Like, right. are they going to kill each other? And it's like, no, it's, it is a communication style and it isn't for everyone. No. I think that yeah. it can become difficult when you have two people who have opposing communication styles, oh or gosh, maybe you have yes. two avoidant people that can also be a problem because mm-hmm. then you never deal with the issue. Right. And I remember like in my marriage with meeting Jason, hmm. when we were dating and getting serious for the first time, you know, I told him like, this is my style. I prefer honesty. Like I rather be uncomfortable and have honesty. Yes. Then not know what's going on. And then it come back later and like bite us in the butt because it's something that we didn't deal with, you know? And so I've always been that type of person as well. That's just like, let's get it out on the table. Let's get it out on the open. Love it. Let's talk about it. Let's work through this. Let's rumble through this Hmm. Um, because it also brings us closer in the end. We get to learn more about each other from it, you know? But I think there are ways also to be respectful yeah. about it, right? I think it's maybe when people um, are not respectful and they just kind of have no rules of argument, right. you know, that kind of go off the deep end. That's where it gets difficult. Then you learn like, oh, you can't do that with everybody. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, Jason, my husband, he's I don't, I don't know if I would say he's conflict avoidant, but he doesn't like to stir the pot. Yeah, which like, is he's good just like, to be paired with you. Yes. Not that very, you like to stir the pot. I'm but not like, a pot stirrer. You're more fiery, so he I balances am more fiery. it out. Yeah. And, and, but we both have direct communication styles. Yes. So that's why it works. It's like he will be direct and honest when he talks. Right. And I'm direct and honest when I talk. So, so you're more expressive. Yeah. He's less expressive, yes. but you're both direct. But we're both direct when it yeah. comes to talking about things. So we're just kind of like clear cut, which can be hard because your feelings can get a little hurt. Yeah. Because you're just like, "Mm, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Right. Like, I know you didn't mean it that way, but that hoit. (laughs) That hoit. I don't like it. I need to sit with this for a little bit, you know, but, um, but it's, it's been so healthy. We also have less issues Mm -hmm. and I mean, give us more time. You know, we've only been, we're kind of newlyweds a little bit still, but like we also, even just throughout our six year relationship have less issues Mm -hmm. because we kind of got everything in the open early on. And we have those very honest check-ins. And you two chose each other. Yeah. And you're married and it's a great pair. Yeah. But what do you do when you are, you know, when you're just in daily life with a whole bunch of people you didn't choose and you all have different communication (sighs) styles different perspectives of how things should be communicated and also how things should be, you know, and you're trying to relate with one another, whether that's at, in your family or in your school or at work. Yeah. I mean, in general. And then when you're even on social media. I was going to say, and it can get messy, especially then you add social media where you're taking away the context. You don't know people. You don't know their tone and the things that they're saying. You don't know if they're just joking or being sarcastic or if they're being real, you know, and you aren't able to take body language into account online. You aren't able to take tone into account. You don't Hmm. have the relational depth of knowing whether or not that person is well-meaning in what they're saying. Um, And so... That's that's the other part of it. And it makes me think back to our conversation about culture and cultural understanding. And even just that, and I know we've talked about this in, in even my own training, is cultural differences in dealing with conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, because a therapeutic skill is confrontation skill. Even yes. being able to confront, you know, your client right. on, I know you said this, but you're showing this. But you said this contradictory thing. What really is going on? Like... How That's a skill. It is a skill. And it also is gauging like w- when is a good time and place 
for me to, you know, do this or utilize this skill, taking yeah. the person's um, culture into mind in terms of like how they talk, how they communicate. Because yeah. like we said, for us, for our cultural background, you can kind of go at it, dish it out. Right. But there's no hate. Yeah. You know, it's just how we communicate. Right. With one another. And you know what? That's the thing that I'm really excited about in diving in with Ashley is because um, in this book, it really feels like it's not just skills she's teaching, right? but she's teaching a way of being. Yeah. And to me, that is what is so, it's a transformative process where you literally flip your beliefs and you you deepen them Mm -hmm. based on a very real willingness to access emotions that maybe you've not been willing to access in the past. Yeah, and to challenge so I'm, yourself. I'm so excited yes. about talking with her. So for those who are not familiar with Ashley Abercrombie, which you should be, Ashley is a writer whose work and story has been featured in various magazines and digital outlets, including Darling, OprahMag.com, Relevant, and Grit and Virtue. She is the author of Rise of the Truth Teller, Own Your Story, Tell It Like It Is, and Live with Holy Gumption, and Love is the Resistance, which we're talking about today, which is learning to disagree, resolve the conflicts you've been avoiding, and create real change. Mm. And she is also the creator of After Hours on Substack and the co-host of the hilarious and helpful podcast called Why Though? (laughs) Oh, I love that. I need to check that out. Yeah, it's great. And so, you know, as we're talking about just the polarization in our society and the differences of views and the different values and convictions and looking at the same issues, but seeing them from entirely different perspectives and entirely different ways and learning how to move through that in a way that does include nuance Mm. and critical thinking Mm -hmm. um, is kind of her jam. And so I thought she'd be a great fit for the podcast. I'm excited. So we're going to bring on Ashley. So we have Ashley with us now. Hi, Ashley. How are you? It's so good to be with you. I'm doing well. (laughs) Good. And you're over on the East Coast right now. Is that right? That's right. So we're talking about Love is the Resistance. And just to give everyone a little background who hasn't read the book, definitely go check it out. It's all about better understanding the beliefs and backgrounds of your neighbors and loved ones and to offer compassion, connection, and boundaries, Mm. as well as staying true to your convictions without sacrificing or fracturing your key relationships knowing how to deal with conflict and tension, speaking candidly and kindly, and resolving issues quickly and fairly, and also sharing the intersection of faith and culture without being a total jerk. I love that one. Oh, man. That's (laughs) packed. That is packed. And Ashley, this season, we're talking about how to be better, more loving humans in a polarized world. And I feel like you're book has just been central to this. Mm. And so we'd love to know uh, a little about yourself and what led you to writing Love is the Resistance. I love that question. Well, I have been writing since I was a little girl. And I think that writing is such a good way to think on the page. And I think the more we write, even if you don't consider yourself a writer, the more you're able to formulate thoughts and gain understanding and insights about the world around you. And so that has felt so important as a through line in my life, as a through line in my healing, as a through line in the way that I process the world. And when I wanted to write Love is the Resistance, it was in the middle of 2020 when I started writing this book. So you can only imagine, you know, what 
we were all navigating. Uh, you lived it too. So you are very familiar. And there was so much infighting in the Christian community at large. The internet felt like a total disaster, watching people just shred each other online and cut people off. And, you know, some of that was warranted because you discovered beliefs and values that people had that could no longer mesh with your own personal beliefs and values. And sometimes what they believe could also be at the expense of who you are. And you have to make those difficult decisions at times to cut people off. At the same time, I felt like people were doing it in such a way that had zero love zero compassion. And honestly, it was lazy and dishonest. Honest. People were yeah. unwilling to tell the truth about things, unwilling to have necessary conversations, unwilling to proceed with necessary endings in a way that is actually meaningful and brings value to your personal life and to the lives of those around you. And so this really felt to me like a letter to the body of Christ, um, I, an invitation to do better is how I really saw this book. And I think some people received it really well and other people didn't. And I think that that is, is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah. um, when you also are coming from a perspective of faith, that is mm -hmm. also such a huge, you know, obviously that was such a huge divisive thing in 2020, um, that people weren't quite expecting and recognizing, oh my goodness, we are now having conversations that are both political and religious in nature, just enmeshed, intertwined together. And those are two very deep rooted, high, um, you know, uh, impact. High stakes, <laughs> high we've been stakes. saying, high stakes conversations. Exactly, to be having. Yeah. And so I think this is, it's just so important because, you know, even though that was kind of like a really intense season, the, yeah. all of these things are still happening. All of these conversations are still happening, these feelings and- yeah. uh, I mean, we're still kind of recovering. In a way, it was kind of great because it made you dig into what do you really yes. think? What do you really feel? What do you really believe? And it kind of challenged you it challenged to me. reflect maybe on some of the things that you were told or some of the perspectives that were intertwined that were maybe toxic or just, like you said, just not kind and just brash and um, harmful. And to really come into, come head to head with that and... Um, rethinking it. And that's where, you know, the whole term of deconstruction started going around about people deconstructing. And some people thought it was evil and other people saw it as productive and necessary. And even mm. that became its own thing. But a lot of it was from that, from people coming into contact with problematic things that they were always told and believed, but then also having to move through that with people in different parts of the pro of that process. It's so true. I, I really love what both of you are sharing. And I think what we need when it comes to love and especially love as resistance is actually capacity to evolve at a healthy pace. And mm. if you don't like the word deconstructing, that's fine. If you don't like the word reconstruct, like whatever the words triggers are, if you can let those go for a minute and understand that humans need transition time and capacity for change. Yeah. And they need to evolve at their own pace. And no, none of us know what people are dealing with at an intimate level and what it takes for them to actually change. And their pace may not be what your pace is, what you think it should be, how you think it should go. And I think that's part of the problem 
in the body of Christ, but also in humanity at large, is that we make all of our judgments and assessments based on what we think is right and what we think people should be doing and what we think our value set is. And we want to lay that on top of other people um, without talking to them, without connecting with them, without trying to understand them. And that creates a lot of unnecessary tension and a lot of unnecessary fighting and a lot of unnecessary opportunities to, you know, separate yourselves from others rather than connecting with them and listening to them and drawing closer. And that doesn't help you change when you're unwilling to do that because we have to actually create friction and tension and resistance to change. Like that's necessary for growth. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's on the previous episode, we were just talking about um, the factors and the characteristics of cultural humility and how to have yeah. cultural humility. And it's basically everything that you're saying and being able to navigate that cultural sensitivity to others while still holding to your own convictions and values where nobody's telling you to throw all your beliefs and values out the window, but how to navigate that constructively with people who are evolving in different ways and who do have these different perspectives and these different ways in which they're positioned in the world and even in our country country to where they are seeing things differently because of their framework and the way that they've grown up and all of the part pieces around their context. So yeah. it's so relevant. Yeah. So as we're kind of, um, I, I feel like we're diving into the, the material and I, as someone that does not know Ashley, like at all, <laughs> meeting you for the first time, I would love to know maybe just in a little nutshell, because every, you obviously wrote this book, you have this passion, you've done incredible work, but that has come from somewhere. It's come from a deep experience of your own. And I would love to just hear in like a little nutshell, as much as you can share, um, just kind of what brought you, I know you shared a little context of the book, but what's kind of brought you to this place in your life where this is such a passion for you? You've obviously experienced life. Yes, so much life. And I think that that is, you know, that is actually what shapes our perspective. And, you know, I've got 20 years sobriety this year from a, yeah. whole, host, yeah, it's <laughs> That's made, a whole host of issues, you know, um, addictions and people pleasing and perfectionism, like the kind of crippling perfectionism that, you know, destroyed my life and relationships and kept me living with this kind of inner fear and um, loathing and pain that took me years to get over. And so 20 years of perspective around sobriety, 20 years of working with people who are on the journey to getting sober or who are recovering from something and working with women specifically around issues like abortion or sexual assaults or eating disorders, like all of these different things form my perspective about people. And what I have learned is that people are in a struggle and it doesn't matter you know, what their economic situation is. It doesn't matter what family they were born into, what culture they're a part of, what country they come from, like people are having a hard time. And I think if we're able to pull back and sort of understand that people are struggling and going through hard and difficult things, not just personally, but the people they love are walking through difficult things. And I think years and years of seeing that has softened the way that I view people and has given me capacity for compassion and being able to look at people and try to understand the context from which they are making their decisions, their history, where they've been why they have the viewpoints that they have, why they vote the way they vote, why they think the way they think, why they believe the things that they believe, that kind of compassion and understanding has given me insight into people. And that has made me passionate about love. 
And I have a desire for people to grow in their capacity to suspend judgment. And I have a desire for people to push hard in the ways of love, not just when it's easy to love someone because you're in a honeymoon phase, you love your friend, you guys have been homies for 20 years, you know, like all of that is like, I'm not saying it's, it's easy to be in a relationship over the long haul, but the people that just get you like, that's an easy love. But, but I think as believers and as humans, we have to push past that and engage with people who are difficult to love, you know, the coworker who's next to you in a cubicle and, you know, the neighbor who's driving you crazy doing the things that they do, you know, another mom at school who is judgy and treats you bad, like how we handle and respond to these things says something about our character, says something about our capacity to love, says something about our compassion. And so I think the life experiences I've had and journeying with people is actually what made me so passionate about this because I just, like I said, a, a letter to do better <laughs> feels so important right now, you know, cause we are capable of the kind of love that heals. And we are capable of the kind of love that builds bridges. And we are capable of the kind of love that does the good old fashioned truth telling that we need in the world right now. And if you don't learn to love others, it's difficult to deliver those things in a way that it can be received. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I I love that so much because I think that, especially with everything that we've seen in the past, over the past couple of years, there are numbers of us that are like, oh, like, why, why is it so hard for us to love? Like to just have a basis, a mutual basis of, of love and, and understanding, you know, through all of these things when we are responding to things online and whatnot. But the truth is that a lot of times we are in these sects, we are in these factions, we're in these groups. And we also talked about in our episode on biases, the us versus them mentality and how it is uh, primitive. It's primitively wired through kind of just the evolution of human history and us coming from a tribal society, but it's kind of filtering over into the way that we think in a modern day society and mm. that there are benefits to that. There are ways that that yeah. serves us. And that's why we hold on to being uh, in our groups and being in our polarized, you know, uh, factions and kind of the the hype that we get around it of having our amen people have our groups that we know are gonna hype up whatever we say because mm. we're all in agreement. The dog whispering and you know mm. all of that. It's easier. It's so much mm. easier to be polarized to one side or another because then you clearly have your people, you clearly have your camaraderie around your ideas, around your sound bites, around your hot takes, even if they're Ooh. not thoroughly thought out, even if they have no nuance, even if they're not constructive, even if there's no critical thinking involved. And I know that you talk, you talk about this in Love is the Resistance and so I was hoping maybe you could expound more on like, what is the role of shame and fear and belonging in creating these tribes and factions and us versus them to the point of placing systems against the individual human and mm. loving and understanding? Ooh, okay, well, that's so loaded. <laughs> I know, just some light, oh. you know, conversation. <laughs> Shame, oh, fear, so vulnerability, <laughs> easy, light topics, you know, <laughs> you know, I think if we were to pull back for a second and think about how individuals are formed and you are born into a specific context and, you know, whether you are raised with your biological family or perhaps another caregiver, um, you know, in, in any way, shape or form that that could come that home that you're raised in shapes 
your value. It shapes your worth. It shapes the way you think about things that are taboo. It shapes the way you feel about things that you might consider taboo. It it shapes the way you think about neighbors. It shapes the way you think about religion. It shapes the way that you think about education. It shapes the way that you think about all the sectors of society and community and friendship and all of that. And then you lay on top of that a school setting. So we're each formed in our school setting, whether that is through a public school, a private school, homeschool, whatever that looked like for, for you as an individual, those teachers shape you, that community shapes you. It also helps define your value and worth for better or for worse. If you, you know, become the nerdy kid in class and get made fun of for your entire life, if you become the popular kid and have to be put on a pedestal and arrive at that standard constantly, and if you are, you know, a person who's somewhere in the middle or you don't get noticed at all, all of this tells you what is valued in society and in our minds at home, at school, in our religious settings, in our after-school programs, whatever the things are in that those kind of formative years that sort of develops in our mind a hierarchy about how we think about the world and then we begin to develop and think through like okay this person is the most valuable person in the room or this standard is the one that I should try to attain to this way of looking or being in the world is means that I will have more value and significance. So I say all of that to say that that is actually what shapes our ability to live in shame or fear or to live outside of shame and fear, because we learn from an early age, what we should mask, what we, what we should hide, what we should bring forth, what is celebrated, what is shunned. And all yeah. of that begins to shape the way we relate. And so when we go out to be adults on our own, it's much easier to sort of find either familiar context yes. or, yes. or push outside of those things based on whatever levels of fear or control you might feel like you need in your life. And all of that matters because shame happens when we do not believe that we have value or worth, or when we have been misused in a way that we were not intended to be used. And that could be through abuse. It could be through um, lighter shades of shame, whatever it is that you've experienced in your life. And all of that makes you turn to certain things and certain people in order to survive, in order to have value, in order to feel like you have worth. And so I think that that's where we can sort of begin to understand why people would cling so tightly to a tribe or to a group or to a, a sense of belonging. And it is a human desire to be needed, to be wanted, to be satisfied in community. We are created to belong and be together. That is just natural. But I think when people don't resolve their hurts from the past and when they don't understand how valuable and worthy they are, then they can live in a sense of shame or repeat kind of these settings that they grew up in by getting in an, in a, an adult community or a professional setting where they're the nerdy kid again, or where they're the kid who's not valued, or where they're the one who's not seen. And we keep repeating these things because it's what we know. And sometimes you're self-aware enough to see it and to understand it and to push past it and to overcome it. But so often I think we get into autopilot about what we deserve and who we are and what, you know, what our value is and what our worth is. And we can live our entire lives without disrupting that cycle and realizing that we have value and worth and that we don't have to belong to a certain sect to have value and that we don't have to believe exactly like everybody else to have worth and that we don't have to, you know, let the dominant narrative shape and form our lives in order for us to fit in. In, you know, and actually earth is not about fitting in <laughs> earth is about becoming the best you that you can become and walking alongside others to do that and understanding that you as a human have this inherent value and worth and you are a human being and there's nothing to be ashamed about. 
You weren't created to be perfect. You were not created to never make mistakes. You were not created to never go through hard things. And there's nothing to be ashamed about. But it takes a long journey of recovery, a long journey of love, a long journey of friendship and connection to gain access to nuance and connection and understanding and, you know, grace to be able to actually live that out um, on the other side of the ways that you were formed growing up. Mm. Yeah, I love that so much because everything that you're talking about is this process, this human process of individuating ourselves. At the beginning, people, some people are never even given that permission to know that they're supposed to. Right. And I'm honestly one of those people that had to learn later in life that it's okay Mm -hmm. for people to disagree with you. Yeah. It's okay to be in a place where, you know, you have different ideas than others. It does not affect your value. And I would love to kind of sit on that for just a moment because what does that really look like for someone to begin individuating themselves in a way where there's this healthy perspective of who they are their own values, their own perspectives based on their lived experience while still being able to be separate from maybe their primary world around them. You know, maybe they live in a family where they're the only one that believes the way they do or in a, in a culture or in a church. I mean, how hard is it to, to be, to have that balance of like, I know who I am. I don't have to be who you are. I can respect you and I can still communicate dialogue, be in relationship with you. Yeah. But I still very much individual. And I value that. I don't feel shame for it. Like how does that happen? Can I add to that too, really quickly? And I was, this is something that I've been reflecting a lot on. There's a lot of groups and communities out there who are saying that their primary goal and value is unity, but it's actually conform. Mm. They think that they're right. They think they're pushing unity, but what they're actually pushing is conformity because unity says no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter where you come from, our differences make us stronger, our differences make us whole. And through our differences, we are whole and we come together. That's unity. But conformity says in order to be a part of our group, in order to belong, in order to receive praise, and in order to be held as valuable or worthy or get kind of these external validations. Mm-hmm. In order to positions. do that, you have to, con- positions, <gasps> status. Uh-huh. You have yep. to conform in these ways like us. You have to think like us. You have to dress in these ways. You have to leave these certain parts of you because they're mm. no good. Like, you know, in order to be a part of us, you actually have to conform in that's even what we're indirectly told through the external validations that we get and the praise that we get through it. And so that's what I've seen a lot is like you're in communities where they might not be, or they might be saying it, but it's this idea of in order to be one of us, there has to be conformity. And that's very different than unity, which accepts and celebrates and sees differences as a whole. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. This is so valuable. What a valuable, good conversation, because I think one of the things that we're very bad at is differentiation. Yeah. And that is 
the kind of the through line of what both of you are sharing and differentiation, I think, you know, just in my layman's terms, because I'm not a therapist or psychologist or anything like that, but in my layman's terms, it's, it comes back to basic boundaries, like knowing where I end and yeah. another person begins yes. and understanding that their personal property, their, the way that they think, the way they dress, the way they show up in the world is not mine to fix or control or change or any of that. Like it's actually not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It's theirs. And I am my own person and I belong to myself. And so allowing people to be who they are is extremely important. And that comes from healthy differentiation. And when you don't have that, it is evidence that you have been enmeshed in relationships in unhealthy or toxic ways, because that means that everybody, that you have to kind of control the environment or you have to be controlled in order to, to, to feel like you're okay in a setting. And so right. the journey of health and the journey of recovery is saying, I am a whole person, a whole individual with all my problems, my character flaws, my issues, my pain, and all of my desires and my joys and my relationships and my talents, like all of this exists and all of this exists in another person. And we are here together. And yeah. I think if you're able to free yourself from the right. burden of trying to fix or change or save people, and mm -hmm. that's why. I think so many of the messages in Christianity are so outdated and toxic and especially the ones that tend to be a little bit more, um, you know, white Western evangelical evangelism kind of things where you're going out and, you know, your whole salvation depends on getting other people saved and converting them and convincing them. And, you know, if they don't come over to the side, they might go to hell forever. And it's like this, it's actually evidence of high control, toxic environments because it goes back to that kind of conformity piece and not allowing yourself to be an individual because you're saying we have to get them so they don't go to hell as if the responsibility of another soul, another human being that God yeah. loves and created in his image falls on you. Yeah. Like you have that much power over other individuals and it's honestly so prideful. And so I think it's really important for us to unlearn some of these things that keep us from existing together and some of these things that keep us from being together and some of these things that hinder us from listening and understanding and journeying and walking together because that is actually what we're here to do. Like I write very often about how we're just here to walk each other home. Like that is actually how we should be together. I'm not here to lead the world and I'm not here to save the world and I'm not here to change the city and da 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 da. -da. It's like, come on. <laughs> It's, yeah. prideful. it's so prideful as, you know, one individual is so important, of course, but at the same time, like you're not that powerful or important. Okay. And it's the sweet line of humility that we all have to walk in. And I think healthy boundaries, becoming a safe person, learning about differentiation is very helpful to this process. <laughs> so like, are you like yes. reading our notes? Yeah, that or like that. And like, Literally. did you listen to our entire previous episode? I, the question where was, we were talking about superiority complex yeah. and how it's like gotten into the faith system. We were talking about the doctrine of discovery, but right. everyone. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. So, well, and listen to that episode if you guys are intrigued yes. in all this, but how that's influenced the way that we share faith and from right. a place of superiority and how that has this kind of historical narrative within the faith. But yeah, but and that ties all back into this. In our, in our notes here, it was, <laughs> uh, the question was, can we talk about how Christians have this looming guilt that if they don't convince or convert someone to Jesus or their way of thinking, that they're somehow not being a good Christian. And we, we kind of 
get that perspective sometimes and that fear. And what you were sharing about was is just so pertinent. And, you know, I'll I'll get to know you more later, but I grew up in that mindset. I've knocked on hundreds of thousands of doors Literally in North America. Not physically in, knocked in on my, doors. In my in my 20s. <laughs> and I was an evangelism leader. I've preached to tens of thousands of people the doctrines of the Bible. I have um, just done so many things. Um, you know, in the genuineness of my heart, but um, but connected to with. that yeah. was a deep-seated belief that um, that God really needed me. And right. if I didn't do this, then that was also showing me something about my relationship with God. So obviously, well-meaning yeah. people are going to give their whole freaking 20s <laughs> and their whole lives, um, you know, to that. And I think that's such a beautiful point that you bring out is that, um, and and really underneath all the layers, and I think this is a, a thing that I keep coming back to in my life, yeah. is this need for control. Yeah to control the outcome, to somehow be God's, you know, conduit of, you know, making sure all his plans, (laughs) all God's plans come true. And not only just in the religious aspect, but in our relationships, we have this need to control how either people feel about us, how they live their lives, what, you know, and and obviously sometimes there are certain um, decisions that people make that have, you know. Implications. Have implications, but but in general, it's just this way of being where we have this high need of control and that is what creates the toxicity. So I'm really glad that you brought that out and I think it's such an important topic. And anytime you bring fear, shame, and control into the mix, chances are you're also dehumanizing people. In, yes. in the mix because yes. then it's like your motivations yeah. for converting someone or making sure everyone's believing what you're believing or needing to keep all these things in control. Now people are almost kind of like, it, it objectifies them. It objectifies yeah. them into things to be controlled and turned and manipulated. And you know what I mean? And so I ha- once I let all that go, Oh my gosh, just so much healthier, freer, more open, more relatable, loving, understanding relationships because I didn't have to have all these other things clouding my ability to just love and see them as a human and walk alongside them. And like you said, just walk home. So one thing I love about what you guys just shared is that in addition to dehumanizing people or objectifying them, it also just it it makes everything reductive. So you are reducing people down to this very small thing and this thing you don't agree with, this thing you don't like, this thing that you're judging or this thing that you do love. And because sometimes you can feel like people will never let you down and they're just perfect and they're wonderful. And then you don't leave room for their humanity in that sense either. So I think it's really important for us to not be reductive in the way that we relate and see one another. And and whenever you d- make the decision, the poor decision, the accidental decision to dehumanize or objectify another, another person, you also are doing that to yourself. Like when you tear down the image of God in someone else, you are tearing down the image of God in yourself because you can do better. <laughs> you were created for more. You were not created to view people this way and to observe them in a way that is judgmental and, and rude and unkind and meaning them harm. Like it's not, it does something to your own personal humanity when you view people that way, when you treat them that way, like you're, it's a detriment to you. And so that's important for people to understand. Like I think about something as stupid as racism, you know, um, it is 
such a dumb perspective. It, it actually logically makes no sense. And it is something that people inherit in their environments and the places that they're raised. But when you are the racist, you know, that, that says something about you, you are losing out on the image of God in other people. And you are making the decision to define yourself by some, by hate, by something that you don't um, like based on something that is so illogical and silly and it's so reductive and um, it doesn't make sense. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that you're, you lose your own humanity when you make decisions like this. Totally. It does something to your own soul. Wow. And that also yeah. just speaks to how uh, pervasive and impactful our home environments and our cultural influences are that yes. we could get to the point where we are fully functioning adults still steeped yeah. in racism and things that are really dumb like that. Or spices. So things that make yeah. zero sense. And yet because of the way we learned how to, you know, the lenses through which we see the world, it's so concretized in our brain. And so this is heavy work. This yes, is not is. easy. This is not a, a matter of like, hey, you know what? Hey, I listened to that podcast episode. That makes sense now. I'm going to go love people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no. there are beliefs connected to every single part of us that hates someone and beliefs yeah. connected to every part of us that see someone as less than. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking to myself. Like yeah. I just had an experience yesterday working through conflict with someone where I really didn't want to, I just wanted to like make it easy and let it go and just be like, you know what? No, I'm we're just going to put this to the side. And I was confronted and I was like, I'm about to record this podcast episode tomorrow. <laughs> I better like put my, you know, like really live it out. And so I'm just all of that to say what you're sharing. This is, this is all really deep work. It takes a lot of yeah. intentionality. And so that's why I'm really grateful that you have written a book because people need to go to therapy. People need to read books. People need to yeah. have conversations. We call this bibliotherapy, by the way. <laughs> yes. It is a form. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But this is, this is all such a process and uh, we'd like to go even a little bit more granular and practical. Yes. Oh, am I going there or are you going there? <laughs> I will go there. In your book, you have a chapter um, towards the end called When Conflict Calls. And I think this is just where the rubber hits the road. Mm. Um, when you are actually interacting with people, there are very real ways in, in which to interact with someone, whether mm -hmm. it's the things that you say, the tone of your voice, um, the way you say something that makes a really deep impact, helps people feel either safe or completely judged, criticized, Shut shamed. Down. Can you share with yeah. us some of those principles when it comes to dealing with, talking with people that you don't agree with or having conflict? Yeah. How can we do that better? Yeah. Well, conflict is so challenging because it is something that's stigmatized in our culture. And um, in the American culture, at least, it is, we're taught that conflict is a bad thing and that conflict ruins relationships or that conflict says something, you know, unkind or unfavorable about you. When in reality, conflict is a part of life. And so that's why I titled the chapter When Conflict Calls, because it's actually unavoidable. And there are things that happen outside of your control that create conflict or tension in your life. And there are things that we do 
as humans that create conflict and tension. And it's a necessary way for relationships to change and grow. It's a necessary step towards intimacy. If you look at some of the best friendships, the best relationships, the best marriages, the best partnerships, it's because they've learned how to navigate tensions and conflict because it's just a normal part of life. And you know what? We're all kind of annoying as well. You know, like we, we do things and say things that are annoying. Like we have ticks and character flaws and we have, you know, things that are different than the people that we hang out with. And it's, you know, it creates tension and conflict. I think one of the things that I have really grown in is um, understanding what my triggers are. And I would encourage everybody to really get this. Um, you know, like if, if I feel like someone is being condescending toward me, it's, I can, I see red, like yeah. even if, even if they didn't mean to, even if they're not, they're just saying something and it's the way that they say it, man, I just see red. It's a talking and I have to like pull, Yes. Mm. I have to come outside of my body and mm. like calm down yes. because it just makes me so angry. So like, that's a trigger for me. Um, people who won't just uh, get to it really trigger me. <laughs> and I'm just sharing like, That's you know, hilarious. very honestly and openly here so yes. you can see some practical examples, but I'm like, look, I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't believe in the sandwich principle. I don't want to compliment the truth and a compliment. I want you to get to it. You know, yeah. <laughs> don't manipulate I love me. That. Just tell me what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we each have these kind of personal triggers. And then if you're a person who maybe like me has a background of perfectionism, if someone approaches you, with something that they feel like you've done wrong or a way that they've hurt you, your immediate response might be to shut wow. down and feel shame and feel like, oh my God, I really messed up and I didn't mean to mess up and I never mess up and I can't mess up. And you have to kind of be mindful of all those triggers. That's the first thing I would say. Yeah. The next thing I would say is to um, let your humanity be present and to you know have the kind of conversations that you need to on the front end. For example, here's what I do when I'm having conflict with my husband, with a friend, um, with someone at work that sets me up to have a conversation where defenses are down. I will start the conversation by saying, I don't think I'm gonna say this perfectly. It's kind of hard for me to talk about this and I'm actually really scared to do it, but I care so much about our relationship and our future that I'm going to risk it. And so I'm asking you to give me some grace as I share with you what I'm thinking and feeling. Ugh, and so, so already on the front end, I'm communicating, I'm not going to get this right. And I don't want you to have the expectation that I'm going to get this right. I want us to be in a place where we can have a dialogue together. So that's the second thing. And the last just practical I'll share because you could get the book and there's so many more in there. But is to, you know, um, recognize that conflict is not a one-time event. And so often we want things short of yes, in one conversation. That is so and, true. And, you know, the thing that annoyed you doesn't stop annoying you just because you had a conversation about it. You know, like it doesn't, you have to then begin to do the hard work, the soul work of like, well, why is that bothering me? Is it me? Is it them? You know, you have to kind of do all this secondary work and have repeated conversations like Hey, you know what? It, you forgot my birthday again. And I know that birthdays are not really your thing. You're really bad with dates. I totally get that, but you forgot again. And that really hurts me, you know, and like being able to communicate that and just say it and share things out loud, you know, just as a small example. And you might have to do that again and again. Gosh, I'm, I still feel like you don't care about me because I remember last month you forgot about my birthday. And this month you didn't remember that event that I really thought you were going to come be a part of with me. Like I'm just sharing very practical things. Yeah. You know, things come up again. And you have to deal with it. So I think, um, you know, allowing yourself to do those things actually um, makes conflict normal. 
And that's what we should work towards in relationships. That's what I was, you just said it. I was just thinking like, it really is this act of, first of all, a perspective of normalizing it, that it is a part of relationships and not seeing it as a bad thing, especially if you grew up in a home where conflict maybe was very traumatic and maybe Mm. it did go from zero to 100, or maybe it did lead to abuse or what have you. So maybe your defense mechanism that was learned is to throw things under the rug. It's not face it because it wasn't safe, you know, but as we get older, you know, finding safety within ourselves and finding, uh, the normalization of this is a part of the process and learning that is, is really important. And I know right now you're kind of talking about like with your husband, with your friends yesterday, we were talking or yesterday, literally today, (laughs) where am I? What time is it? We were talking about just our communication styles and how we come from like fiery cultures where it's just like, you just face it head on, (laughs) you know, but then you throw in this online world, (laughs) yay, where we all are now mixed in and we have no Mm. context of body language and tone. And are they being sarcastic? Did I misread this? Like all these things. And now conflict is at a different level. And you're trying to talk about these really hard, nuanced, deep issues through an online platform, which doesn't really allow for the depth and the nuance that a relationship might, you know, I'm wondering for you, do you have any like rules of thumb or boundaries when it comes to dealing with conflicts online? I know for me, for me, I'm like, there's just some conversations. I'm not going to talk about it. Like, I know you guys want me to address this online, but this is actually not a safe space for me to talk about this. And A lot of you guys are determined to not get it and whatever it is. And so that's why I have a podcast because I'm like, we'll talk about it on the podcast. You can listen there. It's a little bit more nuanced. There's more space for it. But yeah, is is there a rule of thumb or boundaries that you have or in the ways that you think about conflict online and talking about hard issues? Well, I think that, you know, I've been viewing social media now and the ways that I show up online, I've been thinking about it like a neighborhood, like where I write my newsletter. I feel like that's my internet neighborhood. And social media is like this place that I turn up and show up, but it is not a place where I want to dwell and live. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, It's it's exactly what you said. It's not the right forum. It's not the right space. And, you know, people are a little crazy and Christians are just off the charts, you know? So I think that that, like, if I want to love the body of Christ and if I want to continue to view human is something like worth fighting for. Right. I, I think I have to really, you know, rein it in and chill out, you know? Yeah. Um, and I spent a lot of time, especially during, you know, 2020 and 2021, going back and forth with people and talking to them about issues and, you know, fighting with people in the comments because they were being crazy and, or they didn't want to acknowledge that racism is real and that sexism is an issue. And, you know, then I would just go back and forth. And then I'm like, why? for what? Like, it's not working. It's not changing anyone's mind. They are determined to be here, not for the purposes of productive dialogue, but for the purposes of doubling down and shaming people. And for that, it's just like, no, thank you. Right. So I feel like I've, I've begun to view it in a way where it's like, okay, it's seasonal for me. There've been times where my accounts have been fully private because I just can't take it anymore. And I don't want to talk to anyone that I don't know on the internet. And then there've been times where it's been public and all through it all, I think that I've had to really choose where I want to direct my energy. And that's what I would encourage anybody to do is that pick, pick your battles. Like if you decide you're going to go blow to blow in the comments with somebody, like make sure it's worth your energy, you know, like make sure you have time today. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta, you gotta really pick your battles and, and let go of things and be free with the block button and, you know, don't create an echo chamber per se, but also don't let people waste your time. You know, like it's, it's not 
worth it. And you're not responsible for their journey and the way that they think and the way that they change. And, you know, sometimes I'll just be like, okay, you know, like that's my literal <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. You know, like, I just, right. that's all I got for you. Good for you. You want to believe that? That's cool. Yeah. With me, you it's know? like, so I think choosing to direct my energy effectively on the internet has been a real game changer for me and making sure that I can move the needle on things and where I can't move the needle on things, I'm not going to engage because it's not worth my time. It's not worth yeah. my energy. It's not worth my effort. It's not worth the costly wisdom that I spent years gaining. No, thank you to that. Okay. Love yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Love I totally agree. I call it follow-up energy where I'm like, I have thoughts and feelings about this issue. I just don't have the follow-up energy <laughs> to follow yeah. up with the comments, the posts, right. the questions. Where's the this? Where's the research on that? I don't have the follow-up energy for what's going to come after I talk about this thing. If you do, you're like, okay, I'm going to go there. I have the time, you know, but sometimes you just don't. So, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I love the idea of yeah. where you can push the needle, be in that zone and where you can't be okay with letting mm -hmm. it go, you know? Yes. So that being said, as we wrap up our time here, we wanted to play a game with you. <laughs> and it's called finish the sentence and the role of the game is to finish the sentence and it's just kind of rapid fire and we're going to wow. read off a sentence and we just want you to finish it off before I enter a challenging conversation I try to remind myself that that person is a person God loves love it I love that that's beautiful. They're human. The thing that triggers me the most during conflict, you actually shared it, <laughs> is... If someone is condescending, no thank you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. I know a conflict is resolved when... Mm. I feel a sense of peace, even if the conflict is still in motion. Wow, yeah. wow. When someone avoids conflict, it often leads to... It leads to a lack of peace, not dealing with conflict. Yeah. And it coming back up again and again and again because um, you didn't deal with, with it. That's why it's a relentless tormentor <laughs> it's a when you don't wow. deal with the conflict that you need to. <laughs> I think that's why I'm not conflict avoidant because I'm just like, I don't want to deal with this again. Can we just get it out there? Yeah. <laughs> It's better to walk away from a conflict or let a subject go when? <laughs> when you can no longer have a productive conver conversation, when you're unable to regulate yourself and your emotions, and when you lack the ability to control what comes out of your mouth, it's better mm -hmm. to put it down and walk away. That's beautiful. Okay. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks so much this for your has time. Been so for this good. We could literally keep Talk talking. All day. I know. Yeah, we appreciate you great. so much. This was such a joy, you guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you and your wisdom and insight. And I'm so excited about this season of the podcast. Likewise. Thank you. And thank you for being who you are, the energy that you put out into the world and how you're giving back from everything that you've learned. Where where can people find your book? Love is the resistance. You can find my book wherever books are sold. You can buy them online, wherever you like to buy books. And thank you guys. I appreciate you so much. Thank, thank you. Ashley. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, let's continue the conversation and stay connected on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, all linked in the show notes below. Let us know your thoughts or leave a review on the podcast. Your feedback really does mean so much to us. Until next time.